the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me your ears. And if you're watching this on a video platform, I appreciate your eyeballs as well. Today, I got a cool guest, Jerry Miner. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast. How you doing, man? Man, I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not that cool, but thanks for the compliment, you know? Uh, no, you're cool. You're cooler than cool, man. I, I, I remember, I, we, we, obviously we did an interview, you said back in May. Yeah. But before that, I was seeing your stuff mm. just like all over the place. Like you're like, yeah. you know, you're, you're a sales expert and a, and a marketing beast at the same time. And I was getting sick of seeing this handsome guy with perfect teeth. It was like, <laughs> I hate this guy. You know what I mean? He probably can sell better than me. And he's, he's, he's better uh, looking, has a full set of hair, the whole bit. But, you know, let the folks know at the Sales Influence Podcast a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, wh- where would you like to start? I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, uh, my, you know, I'm going to take all that as a compliment because my kids always say I'm pretty boring. So yeah, we have a lot of Facebook ads. We're pretty much everywhere. But what would you like to know? Would you like to know where I started in sales? Would you like to know what happened last year, last month? What would you like to know? By the way, tell me something that happened during this pandemic. Let's start there. Let's pick a new point, a starting point. You know, something that's happened this pandemic. And from a sales perspective, that maybe has shifted your philosophy, perspective, whatever it may be. Well, as far you know, I don't know if there's anything that's that's ever shifted my philosophy. I mean, I mean, sales in in the core. If you understand how to use techniques that work with human behavior, whereas most sales training that I've come across to, besides yours, I love your stuff. A lot of it actually works against human behavior, like it. It, it actually triggers sales resistance. So, you know, when I, when I first started my company about three years ago, you know, the reason why I actually started it because I was so pissed off. Like I was annoyed because I would always see all these other salespeople. I'd see like ads on Facebook or I'd see ads on Instagram or wherever these platforms. And I would see like these sales trainers say things. And I'm like, that's not actually reality. Like that, that is not actually accurate. So I got so annoyed because I would see salespeople in all different industries that were stuck. Like they were going in circles. It was like they were a hamster in a hamster ball, you know, running around regurgitating what these so-called sales experts or trainers were telling them using old school sales techniques that, like I said, work against human behavior that trigger sales resistance from their prospects and keep them stuck and keep them at the same income every single year. And then they wonder why, like, what am I doing wrong? Am I not working hard? Am I not hustling with my muscles? You know, all that kind of crap. But the fact of the matter is, is the way that most salespeople are taught from their company or what I call the old sales gurus is actually costing them sales. It's costing them money. Like they're losing more money because they're using those techniques. It's causing them anxiety and it's burning up time that they can really never get back. So I created what's called NEPQ. You know, we talked about it in the podcast, neuroemotional persuasion questions that developed into sales techniques that work with human behavior rather than against it. And it completely changed my life as I developed it. And we can go into my store if you want to. And it changed, it's changing thousands of people's lives. But I actually started my company because I got annoyed by seeing other stuff out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and by the way, you know, I started the Sales Influence podcast about 12 years ago. I might yeah. have mentioned to you when I read Robert Cialdini's book, Influence. Mm. Yeah. And, 
And I said, wait a minute, if you can apply that to human behavior, how people yeah. think, how they make decisions yeah. at a subconscious level, why can't I apply that to sales? So that's True. where sales influence came from. Yeah. And I turned it around, right? And just like yeah. you, it's not about selling, it's, it's how people buy. Yeah. And so what are your top three? Let's get into some meat here. Let's go, let's go past the meat into the bone. You know, what are like the top three things that you see today that mm. salespeople still do? Because I, I'm, I'm with you. You call it the, the hamster wheel. I call it just an incestuous relationship with old material, right? Mm. They keep just mm. the same thing over and over again. What are yeah. like three things you see that people do okay. that you say, you know, this is not helping at all? Well, let me give you the, the biggest one is that most salespeople are what we call product pushers. They're just product pushers. OK, you have to understand in our day and age, like we're not back in the 70s or 80s or 90s, even 10 years ago. People have changed. The, the consumer has changed. You know, a good friend of mine, uh, Jerry Acuff, I'm writing a book with. He talks about in one of his books, uh, a bestseller, he talks about you have to stop acting like a seller and you have to start thinking like a buyer. You have to shift your mindset of what sales actually is. And part of that is you have to stop pitching, like ditch the pitch, you know, hashtag ditch the pitch. We have the same, we have t-shirts in our company that our people wear that say hashtag ditch the pitch. There's a reason for that. Okay. So you have to stop product pushing and you have to start learning how to become what we call, we, me and you talked about this back in May, a problem finder and problem solver. You see, with today's sophisticated information age buyer, they're more cautious than ever, they're more skeptical than ever, and you have to be better at problem finding, even more than problem solving, because you can't help them find problems, they're never gonna buy it, right? So you have to be better at problem finding. And that means uncovering challenges and problems that the prospect doesn't even know they have, right? Because we have to realize most of the prospects we talk to don't realize they even have a problem when we first talk to them. Or maybe they know they have a problem, but maybe they don't know how bad it really is. Or maybe they don't know how bad it could be if they don't do anything about it. And if you can't learn the right questions that help them psychologically uncover their own problems in their mind, it's impossible for them to have any urgency for them to want to buy from you and solve those problems, right? That's why if you get objections like, let me think it over, uh, you know, this sounds good, but I've got six quotes coming. Uh, I need to talk with this person, that person. More than likely, you just haven't learned the right questions that help build urgency in that prospect's mind. Not you pushing them to do it because they're just going to what? Push back against human behavior, but getting them to pull you in. That's a big difference. So that's probably a really big thing that I see is, is that most salespeople are just, you know, they're, they're product pushers. And here's what they do, right? We all know this. Um, they ask a few logical based questions like, Hey, John, what's two problems you have that keep you awake at night? Blah, like, don't ask that yeah. question. It's so overused. <laughs> it's like, dude, like, by the way, just by the way, no, if you ask, if you're still asking that question, please stop. Like, just get, stop. Get rid of it. Right. So, it, it, and here's what they do. They by ask, the way, I, Jeremy, I just, I just want to add this. Doesn't that like, it almost like it just triggers in the client's mind, you're trying to sell me. Yeah, because they're smarter. Yeah, they're going. They they just shut down and they're like, oh, I've got this problem and that problem, and then you can't open them up. You you have to learn questions that get them curious enough to want to engage. And we'll talk about that's kind of a second thing that people don't want to do. We'll talk about it in a second. Most salespeople ask a few logical based questions, like we just said, 
And then they do what? They go into their pitch. They talk about the features and the benefits and how they've got the best this and the best that and the best customer service. And here's the company headquarters with the slides. And we've, we have a, a rating with the better business bureau. Like stop it. Like every, everybody can just Google you to find out about that stuff. Nobody cares. Okay. So they go into this pitch and it's like taking a bucket of mud and like throwing it up against the wall, like hoping and praying that something we're going to say is going to trigger that prospect to magically want to buy from us. And I call that hopium. It's a drug mm -hmm. that so many salespeople and companies are on where they just hope and pray that something they're going to say is going to get that person to want to buy. Like if you're excited about it, they're just going to buy. But it's such a hard and unpredictable way to make a living. That's the first thing. Would you, would you, before you go into the second one, would, would you agree or disagree with the following statement? Yeah. That, you know, the in selling today, you know, we used to think of selling as an art. Mm. Would you say it's moving closer towards also being a science, also a, a blend of science? And if so, what would be that blend of art and science? Kind of well, finger to the wind, guess. Now, now we have a lot of data, right? So we know mm. what works and what doesn't work. It's not like what sounds good. It's like there's all these myths out there like, you know, this is the second thing I want to talk to you about. Let's just lead right into it. So many salespeople are still taught by the old sales gurus from 30, 50 years ago that the more excited you are about what you're selling and you, the more excited you talk to your prospects, that somehow they're going to be excited as well. Motion creates emotion. Motion creates emotion. Yeah, yeah I love that well, one. Here's, here's the thing. Today's consumer is completely different than when those sales trainers were selling in the 60s and 70s and 80s. They were selling on, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. People would just shut the phone down if you said something like that right now. The consumer is completely different. So the more excited you are, according to the data, I'm just going off like what the science shows, the facts. The more excited you are when you show up and talk to a prospect and just blurb out everything, the more than likely you're going to get one of two reactions. Okay, this is just human behavior. Number one, they're either going to, if they're more of an A-type personality, they're going to be very blunt with you, throw out objections very quick, and they're going to direct what you're offering. Like, no, nah, we're not interested, click. Okay, if you're more of a passive personality, here's what people do. That sounds really good. Can you email me some information? Can you send me a brochure? Can you send me a website? And then can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? And then when you call back as a salesperson, all excited that they're going to be excited too. The phone rings. They don't answer. You leave a voicemail. You text them. You follow up for two straight weeks. You email them and they never respond. They go into witness protection mode. So the more excited you are about what you are selling, on the outside, I'm not talking about internally, keep it to yourself. The more excited you are on the outside, it actually triggers more sales resistance in your prospects. And those that's just the science behind it. That's the facts. That's the second thing I still see so many salespeople struggle with. Yeah, I, I think they've been they've been trained in many cases that you got it. And I love what you just said. It's very subtle mm -hmm. what you just said. You can be excited inside. Yeah. But yeah. you know what? If if I'm talking to a guy from out I'm gonna pick Nebraska. Only because, yeah. you know, it's corn country. You know, <laughs> if you come across like, hey, you know, that guy's going to look at you. Whoa. You know, and, and again, it's 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 moderating your enthusiasm yeah. that makes yeah. sense with the customer. So I love it's, that. It's What's not number being, three. It's not being boring. It's not being it's it's right. just being in the middle. You're we call that neutral languaging. You're just neutral. Like if somebody asked me in the beginning of a call, like, well, why should we go with you, Jeremy? Like, you know, we've got a lot of other options we're talking about. Like, why should we even go with you? 
You know what I'm going to, you know what most salespeople would say? Oh, well, the reason why you should go with me is because of X and Y and Z, and we have the best this, and we have the best that, and the best this. And then what does the prospect do? Oh, that sounds good. Leave me some information. Send me a quote. We'll get back to you. And then boom, they're gone. You instantly became commoditized with every other salespeople trying to sell them something. You don't want to be commoditized because then you're going to have to, it's all based on price, not results. Okay. Instead, you're going to say something like this. Well, I'm not quite sure you should yet. And to be frank, I'm not quite convinced I can even help you in the first place. I'd have to know a little bit more about what you're doing now in XYZ to see if we can even help you. For example, and then boom. And when you do that, when you say, well, I'm not quite sure you should yet. You know what people do? They let their guard down because they understand that you're not biased. Okay, what we have to be as a salesperson is not biased. We have to come in that conversation willing to think in our mind that we might not be able to help them. And I'm okay with that. Okay, I'm, I'm detached from the expectations of making the sale. And I'm instead focused on whether or not I can actually help them solve their problems. Okay, I love That's that. I love that. That we come into a sales call. So you have to start thinking uh, you have to start thinking like a buyer. Can I actually help this person? And when you come in unbiased like that, they do what? They open up to you. So when you're asking them questions, they'll divulge because there's far more trust there that you're there to help them, not like all these other salespeople that are there to stuff their solution down their throat. And they start to treat you that way. They look at you as more of the, let's say, the trusted authority, the expert, Whereas every other salesperson, they just put over here and commoditize him. You don't want to be in that category. That's a big thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people lack the confidence to do that. And, yeah. you know, I've learned, I learned a while back that most people don't have a sales problem. They have a prospecting problem. Yeah. By that, I mean is that, you know, if you had 100 people lined up at your door, you'd be more discerning about who you want to work with. But sure. if you only have two people lined up at the door, you're a little desperate. And yeah. I think a lot of people who don't use that pushback technique, I don't know, maybe this isn't for you. Let's talk about it. Let's see if we can find if there's a, you know, yeah. a happy medium you here. Don't, you don't know if you can help them in the first car. How would you know if you could help them at the beginning of the conversation? If you don't even know what their problems are, or the root cause of the problem or how the problem's even affecting them. You don't know if you can help them. You have to find yeah, out. And you, and you said something interesting earlier. And I, I, you know, and I'll just rephrase it, that there's some people who are not aware that they have a problem. Yeah. Right. Most, so that you're, you're right. So your your question based technique is really there to reveal the problem they didn't see. Right. They had a blind spot. And then the other category you also highlighted was, you know, and I'll, again, I'll use my phrasing is that yeah. they know they have a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They just don't see it as urgent. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not that big of a deal. And that's where you again, you're through your question. You're digging in skills that determine if you're helping them build urgency in their mind that that problem's a lot worse than they originally thought when you first started talking to them. That's what separates, you know, the men from the boys, the, the kings from the princesses, the, the princesses to the queens, you know. Uh, that's what separates salespeople. It's, it's really your questioning skills. How do you help? You know, you do a lot of sales training. You work in small, medium-sized, large companies. You do a lot of sales training. You know, walk me through maybe a process, if you can, of how you help people develop questions. Like I'm a salesperson listening yeah. right now. And I said, yeah. you know, Victor, I, I go in there, Jeremy, I'm having the conversation. It's just that yeah. they're not opening up. And I yeah. think I'm asking the right questions. And if that person is listening right now, they're probably thinking, yeah. well, how do I develop good questions? How do I know they're good questions? Help me out, well, Jeremy. 
Yeah, let's do that. And then I want to give you the third thing. Because I got a, okay. a whammy coming for you. I saved the best okay. for last on that. Love it. Love, love it. On that. All right. So what you want to do is you you it has to be, you can't wing questions. You can't just come up with some questions and just like wing it on every customer. So in our sales training company, we have categories of questions. Okay. The first category is connecting questions. Connecting questions are usually initially in that first 30 to 60 seconds. And they focus on it takes the focus off the salesperson and puts it on the potential customer connecting questions. Okay. When you use them with the right tonality, which we'll talk about in a minute, it gets the person to want to engage with you, to be curious enough to engage with you. The second set of questions we teach our salespeople ask are situation questions. And these are all in order. Like these are the order of the sales process in your conversations. Like it is such like a factory. Now we make it natural, not like a robot reading off a script because that's not going to work. We make it so natural that it's like a George Clooney film where he's, he's this character and you know it's George Clooney, but you view him as the character he's playing because he's so real and natural. You don't view him as the actor, you view him as the character, okay? That's what selling is. Now, so situation questions are next and they help our prospects and us find out what their present situation is. What is what we call the current state or their present situation? Okay. Those are just fact-based questions. What do you have now? What are you using for this? Okay. Whatever depends on what you sell. The next set of questions we're going to ask in that sales process are what are called problem awareness questions. Okay. These focus on what their problems are. What is the root cause? Like what actually caused the problem to happen? Most salespeople never ask that. They just ask what the problem is. And they give them a logical problem, but they never go deeper than that. We have to find out what caused the problem. Like what's the root cause? And then hardly any salespeople do this is we have to find out how that problem is affecting them even personally. Cause that's when emotion and feelings get involved. And as we know, people buy on emotions. They only justify with logic. Okay. So we can't sell without an emotion brought out. So those are problem awareness questions. Now, once we get them to realize, that's when they start to realize like, oh crap, I do have a problem I didn't even know about. And it helps you realize what their true problems are. Then we wanna focus on where they can be once those problems are solved. We call those solution awareness questions, okay? So we get them to, basically it helps that prospect buy in to the idea that once this problem is solved that they just 10 minutes ago didn't realize they had, where they actually can be, okay? Their, we call that their future state, okay? So those questions help them to start thinking about what's gonna happen once this is solved, right? So they stop thinking about cost and price and we get them to start thinking about where they want to be in results, more results-based thinking than price-based thinking, okay? Then we ask uh, what are called pretty much one consequence question and that basically gets them to question their way of thinking of why they've allowed this problem to even keep going and what are, what's going to happen if they don't do anything about this. So it's a consequence question. Then we transition right into our, I would say, presentation where we feedback what they said they wanted and how our solution can solve everything they said they wanted. And then we simply ask what are called commitment questions. We don't believe in the word closing questions. Here. I don't like the word closing because I feel like it labels people as like a thing or an object, right? Like if you walked into Best Buy and somebody sold you a TV and then you overheard them like, oh, I just closed that guy. Like what, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So we asked them what are called commitment questions. John, do you feel like this could be the answer for you? 
right? Commitment questions that get them to commit to take the next step and purchase. Now, if you're in a more of a complex sale, it might be a smaller commitment to schedule a demo. It might be a smaller commitment to have a boardroom meeting. It might be a smaller commitment for the proposal. It just depends on what you sell. But the commission, uh, commitment questions get them to commit to take the next steps, whereas most salespeople don't even know. They just kind of follow up with them in a couple of days and they just kind of wing it. It's all in that stage. And because it's in those stages, it helps the salesperson really be able to duplicate it in their sales industry, with their salespeople, it doesn't matter the industry. Basically, those questions can be used for any industry. We just have to tie them into what they sell. Does that help? What do you, what do you mean? Does that help? Of course, it helps. Mumbo so, jumbo. I know. By the way, no, no, no. So connecting, situational, right? I think problem awareness, solution yeah. awareness questions, consequence consequence questions, presentation, and then commitment questions. I think I got the whole flow mm -hmm. there, right? So That's I'm it, actually, I'm, I'm listening to you, man. I'm listening. And, and so what's interesting is that, you know, when you look at this process, you know, the, you know, and again, we're trying to help people on this call, right? Is that the connecting question is something you'll have to work on. Situation is really good questions to kind of pull from the customer where their, their current state, as you put it, right? Yeah. The, their, their, the problem state. And then the problem awareness. I like this. This I think this to me is like the, 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 the pivot point, the inflection point, because in the problem awareness, as you said, if you ask them something and they give you the problem right away, the tendency is to just jump right in and start solving things. Yeah. But you said something important because uh, there's an emotional component here, and there really is. And that mm -hmm. is there's two things going on. See if you agree. One is the emotional part. Like how is it impacting you personally and yeah. your situation in the company, right? Mm -hmm. But then mm -hmm. from, a, from, a, from a logical side, the left brain, let's go to the left brain just for a little bit, is that yeah. what else is that problem causing? You know, what's the ripple effect? Because it might be, though, that's doing this, then that causes this, and I'm losing people. Now I have to hire people. I can't. Yeah, and now they realize they have 10 more problems from your questions. Right. They didn't even realize they had. Automatically, when you're able to do that, the prospect, they automatically view you as the go to expert because no salesperson has ever been able to help them think that way, ever. It's almost yeah. like we're challenging them in a way to think differently. We're not doing it in a pushy, aggressive way, but we're softly, I call it the velvet sledgehammer. We're not a sledgehammer that just goes in hardcore closing. That's not going to work in our day and age. We're more of the velvet, the velvet sledgehammer. They can't even feel it. They don't even know what's going on, but it's so different. It's brought up so much emotion. It's brought up so many problems. They didn't even think they had from your questions that they have to view you as the go-to expert. So whatever you're charging, they're gladly pay more because they view you as actually getting the result Whereas other salespeople sound the same thing, well, it's cheaper, but I don't know if I'll actually get the results. Right, right. That point right there in your process mm -hmm. requires a level of restraint. <laughs> yeah. That that a lot of salespeople don't have. Yeah. Can you ask you know what I mean by restraint? Like hold you well, want to give them the answer, but you got to like, no, stay stay in the pocket. Stay in the pocket. Got, it's like you got it's like you're the it's like Tom Brady. You know, like you, you, a lot of the quarterbacks, they, you know, something happens and they're like flustered and they'll move out of the pocket. Bam, they get sacked. But Tom Brady, this old, slow dude, he's just calm. He just stays there. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. Boom. Touchdown. Right. It's the same way. I call collective confidence. See, once you learn the right questions to ask at the right time in the conversation and you learn the right tonality and how to pause during some of that, 
you're like Tom Brady. It's like easy. It's like if they throw you off, it's like you just move a little bit and you ask this question. If they throw you off, you move a little bit and ask this question. You have complete control of the conversation. The prospect feels like they have complete control, but who mm-hmm. really has control? You. You're, you're asking like, the question. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that taste. Yeah. And by the That's way, what, all they're doing, and I, the reason I like this process is because all they're doing in that in that in that problem awareness phase where you're asking questions. Yeah. is helping you develop a better presentation for them. Yeah, because all as, you're as doing a, is you're repeating back what they said their problems and challenges were and how you can solve them. Nothing more, nothing less. You know, like I've, get, I've got on demos with companies where they were doing demos of their products and services and they're like going over 20 other features and benefits that have nothing to do with what the prospect was looking for. And because they did, it caused objections to happen and they didn't buy. Mm-hmm. I, one, one, I, I read a study years ago, Jeremy, where uh, it was kind of along the lines of you keep talking about it has this, has this, and this. Now, it's beyond what the customer wanted, right? It also has this, has this, has this. And in the customer's mind, to your point, all they're saying is, yeah, but I'm never going to use that. So am I just overpaying? Or I'm never going to use that. Or, oh, that's going to be hard to implement with our IT team. Or Yeah. I think I lost you, Jeremy. I think I lost you. Hold on a second. One, two, Jeremy, you there? Let me see if I can do the chat. I lost you. There you are. Okay, I was going to say jump back in. Okay, so I got to the point where you were making the point about, oh, we were just talking about it. Sorry, I was just typing at the same time. What was the point you just made? <laughs> well, it's just, yeah. So all it is, is, you know, the, when you start talking about features and benefits that don't even help them solve the problems, are we still on? Am I losing you? Yes, we are. No, no. So start okay. right. Yeah. So you, when you start talking about features and benefits that don't even help them solve the problems they said they had, all it does is it, it creates the questions in their mind, like, Oh man, maybe this is going to be harder to implement than what we thought, or or maybe our IT people are not going to pick this up. Like uh, maybe we should hold off on this. Maybe I need to meet with somebody else to see if we can really do this that way. Or it just causes objections to happen in their mind, and then a lot of times they just don't buy, and it's your fault. It's, it's not theirs. It's, it's it's more than what they want to hear. Less is more. Less is more. Yeah. When you look at this process, before we get to number three, because I've not forgotten number three. You're going to give me number three. The big wow. When you look at this process, where do you think, besides uncovering problem awareness, we think that's a big problem. Where else do you think in this process, if you had to pick one more spot, where do people struggle? Um, I, well, here's where they struggle. Most salespeople, any salesperson can find out problems. Okay. Good salespeople can find out their why. The greatest salespeople in the world are able to find out what's behind the why. That's the difference, okay? Most even good salespeople that make six figures do not know how to uncover what's behind the why, like what's actually driving them. They can find out the why, just surface why. But if you want to be great, if you want to make hundreds of thousands of years a sales professional with whatever you sell, doesn't matter the industry, you have to learn the right questions to ask that really help them uncover what's behind the why, not just you. That's a big deal. 
Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. It's like when when the customer you tell the customer, for example, why why did you call us in? The customer's going to give you the why. Well, we called you in because right now we're not being able to track, do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and you go, oh, okay. Well, we have a solution for that. <laughs> game over. Just kind of just game over. Game, game over. Penalty. Yeah, send you us know. a quote. Send us a quote. We'll get back to you next week, and then you never hear back from. You're instantly right. commoditized when you jump in your solution that early in the conversation. You haven't, so diagnosed, the customer gives you the, you haven't diagnosed yet. You got that's to what I'm saying. What, and that's where your question-based process comes in, right? You're asking the questions. Okay. But again, I, I just want to use the word restraint. I don't know why that word pops into my mind when I'm talking to you. It's like restraint is the key yeah. throughout this process. And then when you're in the presentation and you're trying to get the commitment questions, that's when you begin moving forward, so to speak. Yeah, you know, through the waters. Well, I'm telling you, a lot of people move this, the move it forward even before you get there. Like, well, so what's the next step? Like, how do I get started? Like, how do we solve this together? Like, they'll start telling you, asking you what the next steps are, rather than you trying to force it down their throat. Yeah, and and again, when somebody says, "Yeah, I think this is good for us. I think it'll work." Most people say, "Great." Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you feel like it, it would though? There you go. There you yeah. go. That's right. And it just, it's not, it's almost like you want to grab it, but you don't grab it. You see it, but you don't want to grab it. Yeah, just I'm look at skeptical. it. Yeah, I'm skeptical of that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you feel like it would though? Like in a, that tone and they're like, well, because of this and it's going to do this and it's going to do this. Okay. So time to make a change possibly. Not, okay. So you're ready to buy. Okay. So time to make a change possibly. Right. Neutral. Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. To- by the way, <laughs> You and I have the same philosophy when it comes to the voice. Yeah. It's one of the most powerful tool sets that you, yeah. you know, powerful tools in your tool set that you can use. Because the way you say things, the way you drop it, the way you emphasize the emergency, need you to think about that and be okay with the pause. Do you know what I mean? Be okay with the quiet. Yeah, it's the verbal pausing. That's my third point. I wanted to hit on that. Oh. You hit right on the head. It's your tonality. Oh, God. I mean. Victor, I mean, most uh, most salespeople, they just never taught. I think this is big. By the way, I agree with you. This is big, Jerry. This is big. never taught the right tonality. If I said the same question like this, if I said, um, uh, let's let's say if it was a consequence question. Let let me give you two different examples. Let's say, here's the wrong way. Um, Okay, John, so what are the possible ramifications if you don't do anything about this and the situation gets worse? Now, let me say it the right way. So I, I guess what are some possible ramifications if you don't do anything about this and it actually goes worse completely different answer right i said the exact same words but it's how i said it it's that pause see here's what we have to understand when we call a lead inbound outbound or cold call or we're in front of a boardroom meeting or on a zoom meeting with anybody it doesn't matter if it's b2c b2b your prospects, no matter what industry you're in, are picking up social cues based on your tonality and what you were asking and saying that trigger one of two things to happen. If you don't know how to do it the right way, it automatically triggers sales resistance. The wall comes up, they're shut down, and they start throwing out objections. Now, if you know how to do it the right way that you and I both teach, all it does is it forces that person's mind, their brain, to become so curious that it almost forces them to want to engage in that conversation. That's what it does mentally to them, if you know 
the right verbal pausing and the right questions to ask when you initially talk to that prospect. You could give two people the same script. It'll sound differently. I was talking to a Devin Reed, uh, he's a content manager over at Gong.io, where their whole thing is a revenue intelligence platform where they do the recordings of the actual calls, yeah. and then they kind of you know measure their their success. And he said a, the same thing. He just used an a AI machine to tell me what you just told me, which is, look, Victor, we can tell what deals close by pauses, tonality, you know, and you know the, the response that you get back from the customer. It's just. It, what's interesting, Jeremy, is that you're highlighting something is that I, I think salespeople got this wrong. And I could be wrong, but you tell me is that most salespeople are uncomfortable with the pause because, mm. first of all, it's uncomfortable, dead yeah. silence, right? And maybe it'll come across as they don't know what they're talking about. Where I view it as, yeah, you're giving the, you know how you just did that example, the ramifications and then the consequences of not doing anything. So you just broke that up into two questions, you know, uh, your part B, right? Yeah. But that also gives the customer some time to really absorb what you're saying. Yeah. If you say that too fast, they just give a knee jerk answer. It's like if you walk into the retail store to buy a pair of jeans and the salesperson, how can I help you? I'm just looking. It's just a knee jerk question. It's a knee jerk reaction to a knee jerk question. So when you draw the question out, it causes them to think deeper about what you just asked. And when they think deeper, it builds more urgency that, oh, crap, what is going to happen if we don't do anything about this and it gets worse? So that when you draw the question out, it just forces their mind to think deeper about the question you asked. You know, I've, I've never heard anybody put it that way. That to me is like an aha moment right now. So I thank you for that, man. Because uh, when they come my way, they're they're because they're you're right. If you ask it quickly... I just have never heard anybody put it like, uh, say it that way. When you ask it quickly, you get the automatic response. Can I help you? No, no, thank you. Right. <laughs> uh, can I help you find something? No, no, thank you. Right. It's like you didn't even think about it because I've done that. You've done that. Right. And you're like, why did I say that? Because I kind of do need help. Exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? No, it's and, true. But, but when you ask it, as you say, slowly, mm -hmm. it causes them to be, gives them time to be a little more reflective in their answers. Yeah. And I mean, you could also add, they didn't expect it. Yeah, give me another answer like that same commitment question I gave you a minute ago. Let's do it the the how most salespeople do it. Uh, so, John, do you feel like this could be the answer for you? Completely different. They're going to be like, uh, yeah, no, okay, whatever. Okay, so do do you feel like this could be the the answer for you? And you draw it out. It forces them to think about it deeper. It just you know, it, I mean, is this something that you can do to kind of I guess, get you where you're wanting to go. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I like because, like, again, you framed it in such a way that is making me look at this thing differently uh, from this day forward. And that is when you're asking it slower, you talked about social cues because your voice, your inflection, your tones, your pauses, those are social cues, right? Yeah. And through those cues, what you're telling the customer is, I would really like you to think about that answer before you yeah. give it to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's kind of that's what and I got I'm from okay that. That's cool. That's cool. Because silence means they're thinking deeply about what you just asked. And that engages them so much. It just causes so much engagement that they view you completely different than any other salesperson. You know, one thing I you want to be, I love this because a lot of salespeople we train, they're coming, they come back and they're like, 
wow, I love this now. Like people used to say I could sell anything to anybody like ice to an Eskimo, but they would never buy. But now people are saying, wow, I, I feel like I'm sitting with my psychologist. And I'm like, that's exactly what we want because everybody loves their psychologist. That's why they keep going back to, to pay money for a lot of times nothing because they love their psychologist and how they feel. That's what you want because now they're buying from you. Yeah, and I think also you're 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 bringing to to top of mind those things that they were unaware of, mm-hmm. but they were rumbling in the subconscious somewhere. Like they knew it was a problem, and mm-hmm. all you're doing is you're, you. It, it is almost like therapy, right? It you're is. just trying to pull out what's really going out, and that's why I come back to my word for the third time: restraint in mm-hmm. trying to give. Like the psychologist just really doesn't even want to give you an answer. Sometimes almost annoying, right? Uh, psychologists say, you know. Psychologists will say, what do you think about that? You'll give them an answer, and then you tell the psychologist, how would you interpret that? Yeah. Psychologists will say, well, how would you interpret that? <laughs> so not even answering yeah, questions. The greatest psychologists in the world that charge you know, $1,000 an hour or whatever know that if they give their patients the answers, it just goes in one ear out the other. They have to get the, the patient to answer their own remedies themselves for them to actually truly solve that person's problems. Yeah, I think the, you know, on this last part about the, the tone piece and the voice piece, you know, I learned that years ago from like Zig Ziglar, you know, that's yeah. kind of where I got it from. He had this example about, you know, I did not shoot that dog. And he yeah. says, I can change the meaning of that by saying, ah, did not shoot that dog. That's, that's a denial. Right? I did not. Yeah. You know, he goes through the whole thing and I go, and it was the first time I heard somebody say, oh, that's how you use tone. Mm-hmm. And then I started using it, but it does take practice. You know, how did you how did you master that? I mean, how did you, how did you master that? How did you? Lots of, lots of practice, lot, lots of reading. You know, like I said, my background in, in college was behavioral science and human psychology. So I think I had an unfair advantage. I started learning from a very young age and I started selling at the same time. And that's where it all happened to me because I got my first job when I was like a 21, oh, almost 22. I think it was like a, close to being a senior year in, in college. And I never graduated, by the way. I still have 13 credits left. I actually dropped out because I was making too much money as a salesperson. But anyway, so I got this job and the company like gave us a script. They're like, here, read these seven or eight guru books from these gurus and use it. And we'd studied up for like a month and then we hit the doors. And man, I just got slapped in the face. Like I would say, oh, I'm going to use this from this technique from this book that this guy told me. And I'd say it and they'd be like, wham, not interested. And I'm like, it took me like about a month and a half to figure out like, hey, this stuff, this old school stuff doesn't really work that well with people. And at the same time, I was learning from my professors and other, you know, high level books I was reading that the most persuasive way to communicate um, was to allow other people to persuade themselves. But it was all this theory. There was no like sales training course that actually did all of that, like wrote it, you know, had all the questions to do it. It was just theory like, OK, that makes sense. But how do I do it? And so that's that's where I started developing NEPQ, neuroemotional persuasion questions by that, like bringing that human behavior element from behavioral science into, quote unquote, selling. And that's where my sales career, you know, really took off. You know, eventually, um, you know, the, the last couple, let's see, the last two years of my sales career, no, actually the last five years of my sales career, I was ranked in the top 50 as far as a top incomer of all salespeople by the Direct Selling Association, uh, selling anything in the United States of America, I think I was number forty-five ranked, and I was making uh, close to two point five million a year in straight commissions at my job selling awesome. mono to mono. So it's it you know it's a good good ride. But I I I literally started my sales training company because I started getting so annoyed 
by everything I was seeing on these ads from like sales trainers, I'm just like, man, what they're teaching them like just doesn't work that well. It's like, it's like regurgitated from like 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, but today's buyers are completely different. You know, so when you look at, I wanted to ask you before I forget, uh, when you look at mindset, you know, and I'm not talking mindset up here. I'm talking about, you know, when you work with people, Jeremy, and they're like, I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know if I can ask the right questions. I don't know if I can do this whole tonal thing or really ask, you know, you know, talk to me about how you break through people's wall, that mindset wall where they're like, I, you know, I just, I don't know if I can do this, Jeremy. What, what are some of the things you work with them on? Well, I just ask them, which is more riskier? Is it more riskier for you to learn how to ask questions? and learn the right tonality or is it more riskier for you to keep doing exactly what you are doing now and making the same amount of income you are now, which is more risky staying in the status quo or actually learning more advanced skills to double and triple your income, which is more risky. By the way, did you see what he just did? Did you see what he, I just want to pause there? Cause if you didn't, if you didn't catch what he just did to me, he actually tried to use that crap on me. He actually did it. He did it. He did it. I asked him a question. He said, well, Victor, it's all about asking a question. And then he gave me the option question, which is a beautiful then. And did you hit, by the yeah, way, just hit the, re, hit the wait, 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 Jerry, wait, wait, Jerry, wait, wait, hit the rewind on this one and watch how his tone changed. Some people yeah. say it, you know, and they talk about doing it. He just did it to me right here, which is beautiful, Matt. Thank you. That was like a well, nice hey, demo. Once you, once you, Victor, and once you learn those skills, it becomes who you are. I love Not it. what you True. do when you're in the office. It becomes how you communicate to your, your spouse, your, your kids, your friends, your neighbors. It really becomes who you are as a person. And That's I want it. to say this because it, it's done with the intent it's done with intent not to manipulate. It's done no. with the intent to communicate more effectively and to get people to think deeply. It's true. Two greatest communicators in the world that I know of, maybe there were some we just don't know of, we don't have records, are Socrates and Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. Think about from their writings what they taught. They asked easy to answer questions that caused their quote unquote prospects or people they were talking to, to question their way of thinking of why they've allowed their same situation to keep happening over and over again. It's called self persuasion. Oh, I love it. I mean, any, anybody who studied the Socratic method or has any read any of Plato and Aristotle will know that it, it isn't about telling people. It's just about asking those questions I mean, yeah. I guess you can't, I mean, that's what you study, right? How do you get them to tell you what it is they already know? And I think one of Socrates' thing was the answer's in there. Yeah, It's just through a questioning system that you got to pull it out for them yeah, sometimes because like they don't know. Conscious mind, you know, where they buried all this stuff to their conscious mind extremely quickly based on your questioning skills. That's it. I love that, man. Jeremy, let the folks here at the Sales Influence Podcast know where they can find out more information about you and your program. Yeah, it's really easy. Just go to, uh, you can join our free Facebook group. Uh, we've got, you know, a few thousand people in there. We just opened it up two months ago. It's called Sales Revolution. So if you go to Sales Revolution, that we're building a revolution uh, with Jeremy Miner, you just go in there. I go live uh, five days a week with different trainings, little different tips. I interview uh, top students <clears throat> every every day of the week and wow. people just get riled up in there. So yeah, just join us at sales revolution. We'll give you some free tips and uh, hopefully you won't get too bored.
Yeah, Jeremy Miner. That's J E R E M Y M I N E R. You just look yeah. at it, the notes. Uh, check it out. Check him out. Sales Revolution on Facebook. You go five live five times a five times in a week. Five times a week, yeah, five times wow. a week. I do. I do it religiously. I actually really love it. Like I'm interviewing <clears throat> in that Facebook group tonight. One of my top five students ever. Uh, he's a guy uh, from the Czech Republic. Lives in Australia, and he actually makes. 1.2 million a year in straight commissions. When he first started going through the training about two years ago, he was making about six to seven thousand dollars a month. He's selling the exact same thing. Love it. Hey, you just let out something. You let it out twice. A little Freudian slip the second time, though. You were going to say mm. religious or religion. Religious. Does that play? Yeah, religiously. Okay, I was going to say, is there some a religious aspect or just motivation? You know, you know, as part of your philosophy. Out of yeah, you know, I, have a, I have a big philosophy. You know, my uh, minor was in like New uh, Testament Christianity. I'm weird. I love history, so it was like the post-apostolic church from the time Christ was here compared to the rise of the Roman Catholic faith in like the fourth century AD or yeah AD. I know I'm weird, man. Um, so what I do is, you know, in the scriptures, it talks about in the beginning, before the earth was created, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they talked about the tradition that there was a war in heaven. And this one side, you know, was on God's side and the other side was on Satan's side or whatever. And I always thought about that. I'm like, what does that war mean? Like, was that a war with swords and guns and tanks? Or what was that war mean? Because that's what it says is a war. No. It wasn't a war of guns and swords and tanks and ammo. It was a war of words. It was a war of persuasion. That's how important persuasion is. And it started from the history of mankind. How many, you know, how many millions of billions of years that has been? I don't know. I guess we'll all find out one day, right after we leave this life. But the war in heaven was a war of persuasion. It was a war of words. And that to me is very important. That's one reason why I'm here. I love, I, I love it, man. I love the, I, you know, I, I love the fact that you just shared that because I think it's always interesting when people give, you know, where, where the philosophy, the core philosophies come from, from the things they teach. So I thank you for that. And Jeremy, thank you very much. And that is it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Pandora, wherever you find us. Also, check out Jeremy Miner at Sales Revolution on Facebook. Check him out. He's going live five days a week. You can't ask for more than that. Also, after you've done that, check out the Sales Velocity Academy. You know the deal, salesvelocityacademy.com. And lastly, I want to thank you. This is Victor Antonio, always reminding you, selling ain't hard when you know how. Take care.